Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Lock the Talk podcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where you'll hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. I'm your host, Barry Barnes, founder and CEO of Locker-Port.com. And you guys, you guys can always reach out to me on any one of my social handles on Twitter at Locker underscore report, on Instagram, Locker Report 100, all small caps, on Facebook, LockerReport.com, and also check out the podcast, Lock the Talk podcast on Facebook, but please, please go to YouTube. Go to YouTube right now and subscribe to the channel, the Lock Your Talk podcast that's on Lock, that's on YouTube right now. You can subscribe and you can check this show out in its video version so you see this good-looking face talking about some good-looking stuff, talking about some great stuff in the NFL. And But most importantly, make sure you guys lock in the lock to the best news radio network.com where you guys can listen to this show 24 hours a day at your leisure and anytime that you feel pleased to look at what's going on or to listen to what could be going on in the NFL that's behind the scenes some of the stuff that well all the stuff that you don't necessarily see that's being talked about on television or where you read from blogs or articles that way you can find some other different avenues about the NFL that you guys will be entertained about and also most importantly gain knowledge about how however if that's the place you want to go and that took your fancy fancy with nfl believe me you will not be disappointed when you go to locker-dashboard.com and also checking out the locker talk podcast on best news radio network all right i hope everyone is doing well oh boy what a great workout i had this morning I tell you wore myself out and hey, you gotta take advantage of those days get myself all prepped up for the good good 2021 nfl season well i stay in shape i work out all the time but hey it's nothing like being prepared to be able to get down during um, playing season and looking forward to the first game of the season, the Hall of Fame game, you know, up in um, Canton, Ohio, where the Dallas Cowboys will take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm looking forward to being there, you know, covering that game and getting some good, juicy stuff. So next week when we come on this show, and I'll be in Canton, when I come on the show and we talk about, just give like a little recap of what happened in the game, but most importantly, talk about the, the NFL regional combine players who came through the process who will be participating in that night. Uh, and we'll get into all that good stuff next week. But this week, definitely want to finish what we were talking about last week. Um, a week ago, you know, I had the pleasure and uh, the, uh, the honor to sit in on the NFL officiating conference. Um, this year it was virtual. Um, next year, can't wait. You get to see everybody face-to-face as we go back, you know, on the road to handle everything. And we, it'll be great to see those guys that have been missing them for the last two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, the clinic still had to go on, and it still was success. And it's very important that this clinic, that the league actually, believe it or not, you know, started around 2015, 2000, yeah, 2015, 2016, year, where it was the time when the league knew they wanted to there's so much information during the off season that take place in the NFL um, and also all kinds of meetings you know the meeting the owners meetings they have in the spring and also uh, what they will have like right before the summer the one they have in March and the one they have in May 
and then the competition committee, you know, they have their meetings, and that's where a lot of the rule changes and everything um, are made. Um, some is kept from the previous year. Some rules may be a little tweaked. And someone asked me one time before, you know, why they every year they feel as though they have to do something with the rules, why they're always changing rules and everything, you know, why they just can't keep it, keep the rules as it is, and then go from there. Well, the answer that I gave them in the first time, this case, if you want, you guys had this question, you know, why do that? Why do the NFL always mess with the rule book every year? Well, each year the game evolves, and each year there's always, always a certain scenario or a situation that happens on the field that is one of those situations where, okay, we haven't seen this before. Um, how can we address it? Also, in, in terms of coaching and schemes, these coaches, defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, all these guys are highly intelligent at what they do. And anything that they see falls in the rule book that's like a wrinkle or something they may see in college, you know, to see if it could be something they can trans, they can actually use in the NFL. These guys are always willing to try to figure out a way to have a competitive edge. You know, it just, it's been like that and it will always continue to be. But when they come up with situations um, like that, and if it's not something that's addressed in a rule or something that the league need to address coming up, they won't change it during the middle of the season. But the off season of the following year, that's when things will be addressed and notice there's certain things they have to make it a little bit more clear because there's always something there due to the play on the field because the players evolved and coaching has has involved as well. So the, it's important. It actually is imperative that the league stay on top of it and the ones that have to have to bear the responsibility of that outwardly are the NFL officials. So this is why they had the clinic put together, you know, a couple of years ago, um, something they, that wasn't around years and years ago, but something that's pretty much still fairly recent. But and but it's it's showing that the impact that it has and its and its importance. And so when you have all the officials together, and especially when it comes at the mini clinic, the mini clinic, the officials pretty much have a lot of input. You know, the the, the meetings, you know, um, are broken down in breakout sessions, like how they normally do with the clinic. But the difference is that the mini clinic, the officials involve a lot of their input, certain things, certain things they see on the field, certain things they witness you know, that NFL football operation, you know, that, you know, that they wouldn't have an idea of what's going on but really don't know. So that's where they use the input of the officials to let them know, hey, this is something we have to monitor, blah, 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 and they get into it. And then when the fish any clinic, the big one, not the many, but the fish any clinic when I was in a couple of weeks ago, that's when everything is set in stone. That's when everything was taking accountability through the competition committee, committee with the owners, um, what was the, the changes that NFL operations want to look into, even when it came down in the mini clinic where the officials gave some input, everything comes down to the end at the officiating clinic where everything is etched in stone, this is what it's going to be, and this is how we're going to move forward for the upcoming year. And so this is why the clinic is so important, you know, for the league and for the officials so these guys can be able to stay on top of the game as the game continues to evolve. When I say evolve every year, I mean this game evolves every single year. So this is why they had a clinic. And so to be a part of that was really great. Now, last week, I remember we had talked about um, um, how this is the first time that the clinic had 
had current coaches, two current coaches, to participate in a clinic. Normally, they would have former head coaches, um, like Chuck Pagano was one of them, Jim Schwartz was another. You know, they would have former head coaches that would come to the clinics, share their input, hear from the officials, and then it will be some situation where there's, a, you know, a, an agreement or better yet, an understanding of both sides because although when we look on the playing game, I mean, when we look at the playing season and it looks like that there's only three teams on the field, the two opposing teams and the third team with the officiating, and it tends, you know, it, it may look, look like from the outside that these guys are not working together. They want to make sure that these guys are doing, you know, doing their job. And, and there's, a, there's a, I would say, a disconnect between the players, coaches, and officials. Folks, that is the furthest thing from the truth. The coaches understand the officials. The officials understand the coaches. The players understand the officials, and the officials understand the, um, the, officials understand the players. So believe it or not, they all collectively, all together, on game day, looking to make sure that everything goes well. We want to make sure that the game is played correctly. And when we see the intense um, conversations on the field, with the players involved in officials and officials involved in coaching. I mean, you look at it and you say to yourself, like, wow, he's really laying this guy out. Or they shouldn't talk to their grown man like that. You know, it, it happens. We, we look at it and we see it. Football is a very emotional sport. Um, as soon as the ball is kicked off, no whether it's in the preseason, regular season, postseason, or the Super Bowl, the emotional tie is always there and it's never going to go away. And so when we see the griping, we see the fussing, the going back and forth on the field, just know that these guys do not hate each other. There is not, you know, each party respect each other's job and what they're supposed to do in the field. So don't think that these guys are operating um, on a different side and there's no, um, I would say there's no friendship there or better yet, no understanding there. Don't think like that at all because these guys are truly, truly are on the same page when it comes down to game day and making sure that this game continues to stay safe. You're listening to The Locker Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. I am your host, Barry Barnes, founder and CEO of Locker-Report.com. Now, we talked about those two coaches, how the two coaches, two current coaches, Matt Rule, head coach for Carolina Panthers, and Brian Flores, head coach for Miami Dolphins. They came on the, um, the, uh, part, they came on the clinic a couple of weeks ago, shared their input, received from the officials. The officials asked them questions about how they can do their job, how they can help them do their job better on the field, and vice versa. And that information was definitely shared. And for Matt Rule, he was really excited because when he was at Baylor, he normally attended the summit, the only coach, according to him, that would attend the Big 12 summit. And officiating is one of the things that's talked about and how the officials there are there to share. And he always went because he wants to know what to do on the field. Last year as a rookie head coach, there were no officials during training camp. And so a lot of the plays or penalties we witnessed on the field during game day was because they did not have no officials to help coach them, the players, I mean help coach the coaches, to not coach the players on what to do and what not to do on the field. And you may say to yourself, well, these guys have been around the NFL so long, they should know what to know how to coach their players the proper way. You know, that's not necessarily the case, folks. It's always something because 
this game evolves every single year, and that's not, you know, something made up. That is the truth. And so when we so we talked about that with the coaches, and then we talked about the COVID-19, how the NFL was able to have a successful year despite the climate not that not only this country had faced, but the world had faced all collectively. You know, the league made sure that, you know, they had protocols in place where everyone had to wear their mask, hands, hands down. Everyone had to have a mask. All the meetings were virtual, you know, so there was no one-on-one meeting. When it was time to eat, to go into the cafeteria. The, um, the players did not just eat too low and take, you know, a bowl, I mean, take some food here and this. You know, it, I mean, it's, it's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And when we talked about with the COVID, when the cafeteria, how no one was able to eat in the cafeteria, so the players had to come in, grab their lunch and go, or grab their meal and go, and went to their designated places where they were safe. You know, so there was a lot of things they had put in place for us with that. And there was no large gatherings. Even when it came into the weight room, they can only have 15 people in there at a time, 10 players, five coaches. That was the number that they had to have inside the weight room, the workout room. And then that time when the players need to come out, players will come out and respect the other players had to go in and get their work in, that's when they went in. So they had ways to put things in place. When it came down on game day, you know, the officials had to get tested at the hotel and wait for the results. And the results normally were taking away between 20 to 30 minutes, excuse me, from 20 to 30 minutes. And so these guys would then were able and allowed to go to the stadium to be ready to go to work. After experiencing these great numbers, you know, the NFL employed a little over 12,000 people, including the players, and to only have 726 um, people to be tested positive for COVID-19 last year, that put them in a 0.08% of people being uh, tested positive. That was astonishing to see how the league was able to do that. You had one of the officials that asked, you know, um, you know the, chief, the NFL chief medical um, a medical officer and Dr. Allen Seals asked him, well, with the great protocols in here, why do some people still get tested positive? Amongst the officials, there was 138, but 29 of those guys got, you know, tested positive. You know, according to Dr. Seals, he said it was about your community, who you affiliate, who you affiliate with when they are gone, when you're at your home or your friends. It all comes down to that. So these are the things they had broke down dealing with the clinic last, I mean, dealing with COVID-19, that was a success, and the CDC recognized the NFL for that. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick pause. We're going to jump right into this quick commercial break. After we do this quick commercial break, we're going to come in and talk about a couple of other things that was not touched on last week at the clinic, and we're going to be able to wrap everything up about the clinic after today because next week we're going to jump right into the playing season. You're listening to Locker Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. Now, this is something I want you guys to do every Friday, every Friday. You get by your iPads, on your phone, on your computer, and if you like music, you're going to love this. Every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is Feature Album Friday on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Listen later today for the Feature Album for Friday from 5 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. as our feature artist of the week is Teddy Pentagrass. Yes, Teddy P. You're going to listen to Teddy P. for 30 minutes on AmbassadorNews.Airtime.Pro. It's feature hour on Friday, folks, exclusively on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And also, also, make sure you stay locked in to listen to the love songs of today and yesterday 
with Whispering Softly on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You can listen to some of the best love songs every Sunday through Friday from 8 to the time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro exclusively on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And make sure you guys stay tuned right after the show, following the show, the Like a Talk podcast. Listen to the Yanni Knox as she give a dose of dime when she talked about all this kind of stuff when they're dealing with love and relationships. Make sure you guys stay tuned and locked in at the Like a Talk podcast today. Now, back to the schedule program with the Like a Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow. I'm your host, Barry Barnes, founder and CEO of Locker. Dashreport.com. Now, as we b- talked about briefly what was discussed last week, now we're going to wrap up the rest of the conversation dealing with the NFL officiating clinic that happened a couple of weeks ago. Now, I know last week we also touched briefly on with the COVID, but the other part that was really in, uh, very significant is player safety. No matter what goes on, and <laughs> clearly it showed last year what goes on in the world, the main thing that the NFL want to make sure they stay on top of is player safety. Player safety is numero uno when it comes down to the NFL. This is something that is, that's always, always talked about, how to make the game safer for our players. And this is something that always will be discussed because, like I said earlier, the league is, evolves every year. And when it comes down to this situation with the players on the field, these players evolve every year with different types of nutrition, with different types of workout. These players are getting bigger. These guys are getting faster, getting leaner, getting stronger, getting smarter. I mean, this game is so fast. This game is playing, it's being played the way how the NFL wanted the game to be played ever since this game, great game was instituted. But over the years, you know, guys couldn't keep up with what they want to have, so they had to keep adjusting rules according to the skill set of the players. And as the skill set continued to evolve, the NFL had to get a little bit more stringent, make the game, but put more rules into the game so that the player's safety piece could be a focus. So that's why they have all these rules, and they want to put things inside. Now, when it comes down to the officials, I'll call them the NFL caretakers because they have to take care of the game. And this is their job not only to be safe with COVID-19, but also also make sure to monitor concussions. Any player that look, you know, that looks strange, take them out again. The they want to make sure they stay on top of that. And also along for the ride to help the officials has been the helmet technology. The helmet technology has been huge ever since it really was put into place for the NFL, especially around 2017, when the NFL chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, became a part of the NFL, and when he would attend the officiating clinic, which is something that he, he does every year ever since he was hired full-time by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell with that helmet technology, which is really cool, and we're going to get into that. But just to give you a heads up, from 2015 to 2017, the, the NFL put in place a range when they started to really address the con- the concussion situation and the neck injury situation, they really, really wanted to get things straightened out with that, which was really, 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 really good. So in 2015, 2017, they had set up a range of 159 to 194. That was the range number that they were, that was their goal to see false concussions. Now, 
they achieved that goal in those three years, in that three-year span. Through that, um, during that three-year span, 2015 was the year where they had the highest number of concussions at 183, and their lowest was at 166 in 2016. But it gets better. When they had the range for 2018 to 2020 last year, they got aggressively low with their range from 114 to 150, and yes, they achieved that as well. During that four year, during that three year period, although 150 was their max, they never exceeded 140. Matter of fact, the lowest number of um, concussions they experienced was in 2018 when they had 127. That was a dramatic drop from 2017 where they had 178 concussions um, that had occurred in the NFL. So that was fantastic. And so with that, with Dr. Seals giving them, giving the officials kudos of what they did on the field. And one of the things that Dr. Seals has said to the officials, and I quote, I value each of you as part of our medical team on game day. What I mean by that is you continue to be our eyes and ears on the field, off and on the field, to help identify injured players who need to be assessed. You are really our first line of defense, end quote. So this was something that, you know, Dr. Seals had said to the officials, how these guys was able to be that front line and help push the envelope and keeping players safe um, throughout the entire football year. Now, here go with the helmet technology. Now, the helmet technology was introduced in 2015. Now, 2015, all the players did not just jump on board and say, hey, give me this new helmet. No, there was a little pushback because one thing for sure about NFL players, they are creatures of habit. You know, football players are very, very superstitious. If they have a certain item they wear, they felt as though brought them, brought them luck, they're going to wear it. You know, if they wear it a certain way, they're going to wear it. And their helmets are no different. Certain players, says, you know, all the players like their helmet to be a certain way. And with a lot of the new helmets that came out, a lot of the new helmets, they were a little heavier. And depending on their position, it would block or hinder some of those players' viewpoints while they were on the field. So there was a lot of, you know, pushback. Now, although it was some pushback, still, still majority of the NFL used the new helmets, which was at 55%. But, however, it kind of dropped down the following year when only 47% of the players was using the new helmet. You had most of the players that using where they had the helmets that were in the red, I mean, in the um, yellow. And when you look at this graph, and I'm not at liberty to show you the graph, but they had a listing of helmets in the green that were appropriate. You had um, a list of helmets that were in the yellow. They were okay, but they were not you know, what the league would recommend for them to wear. You know, although they was okay, but they wouldn't recommend them. But with the helmets in the red, they was totally prohibited. But you still had some players that wanted to wear them. So with that following year, knowing that it had dropped to 47%, 2018 was a change. Everything started to change. They actually increased up to 74% of the players in the league wearing the safer helmets. So that was a 27 increase from the previous year. And then last year, last year was the, was the big turnaround. Last year, every player in the league except for one, <laughs> believe it or not, one player, one player, all the players in the league wore the safe helmet, the helmet in the green. Only one player 
not going to identify who that one player was, but only one player. So it's not the lead down to 99% of the use of the new helmet, which is something the players are recognizing. You know, someone had to twist their arms and everything, but still at the same time, the players want to be safe. They want to play the game safe. And so that's why, you know, the whole league, 99%, not that only the only one player <laughs> did not wear the new helmet you know, for the technology. But it's okay. I'm quite sure he's going to wear the new helmet this year. So definitely looking forward to, to the league being 100% using the new technology helmet to help keep this game safe. You listen to Lock Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. I'm your host, Barry Barnes, founder and CEO of LockerDashport.com. Now, the lower extremities, the lower extremities like your hamstrings, they still consider the most common um, injuries in the NFL. And one of the things about the preseason, although it's going to be less this year, you know, Dr. Seal says as far as a medical standpoint, that actually helped the league. You know, more practices help lower the risk of injuries, according to the doctor, for the season. So although we look at the players playing too many games, you know, we're having 17 regular season games this year. A preseason game was taken away for Dr. Seals. The medical world believed that all four of the games should be played because it helps to reduce the injury because the players is another way for the players, another game for the players to exercise player safety before the real games matter. So that was some of the things that was talked about as far as dealing with safety in the league. Now, one of the things that was really interesting was the strategies that the league are implementing into the, um, into the game as the game continues to evolve. Uh, what I mean about, you know, strategies that the, the league has put in place is that they were trying to figure out a way how to make game day a little better. Now, when we look at the football field and we see that it's pretty big, but we also see that it can tend to be pretty crowded out there on the field as well. And so with the large, you know, with a lot of media people on the field, um, you have a lot of um, associates on the field, all kinds of people on the field. The NFL is going to eliminate that this year. It's too crowded. So they're going to put in place, you may see some people with armbands around their arms because this is going to signal to NFL security and those on the field to let them know that, this person belongs on the field. This person do not belong on the field. So they're going to, they plan to reduce the amount of um, people on the field during game day, which is very important, you know, because they need the space, they need the room. They also, one of the things they're going to do um, is going to be they're going to um, do something with the bench area, how they're going to expand the bench area to about 25 yards where there will be more room where if the players want to sit down, they can, you know, to loosen up um, players standing up on the sideline. So they're going to, you know, look out for that this year as well. When it comes down to field conditionings, um, I really believe that this is going to be the last year you guys are going to see horrible field conditioning, especially when it's inclement weather. Um, each game, they're going to have their field conditioning crew that's going to be on the field. These guys are already locked in for the year. They already know what their duties is. If there's a ditch in the field that happens during the game, they're going to have some people to come out there and fix it um, between, you know, probably you know, halftime or television timeouts. They're going to have a, each game is going to have a staff to specifically um, watch over the field conditioning. So they're going to have crews in place to make sure that another thing will play a safety. The last thing we don't want to see is a player getting injured um, we know injuries are part of the game, especially because it's a collision sport, but they definitely don't want to see a player get injured because it's a hole in the ground. 
So they're going to be on top of that. They've been they they always been really good with that. But you have some fields, and I know one field for sure. That FedEx field, man, that that field was always always bad, especially in the middle part of the field, and also in the south corner part of the field. So for some reason, now those two areas were always always muddy, and I know that for a fact. And so there was one of those fields that I'm quite sure they did not specify what fields were the worst fields. Only thing they said that each field will have a crew out there to make sure that the field conditionings are always, always up to par so they can be able to make sure everything is all set. One of the things they're going to get into is want to make sure that they have chips in the ball. The balls are going to be tracked. And when the balls will be tracked, it's going to enhance their data to make sure they know to see how many balls are used. They're going to pretty much just use six balls this year. You know, they're going to check, you know, a lot of stats through the balls, whether it's in the air or how it's carried. They're going to have all these things set up so that you geeks out there that are looking at numbers, they can, you guys can follow it a lot closer. So this is some of the stuff that they had talked about during the NFL um, officiating clinic. I just gave you all the details what happened so you guys will be able to be up the par with officiating this year. Thank you guys for tuning in to Locker Talk, where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. Where you guys, please, make sure, where you're here, um, make sure you guys follow me on all my social handles on Twitter at Locker underscore report on Facebook, LockerReport.com, and also Locker Talk Podcast on Facebook. And follow me on, on Instagram at LockerReport100, all small cast. And make sure you guys go to YouTube, subscribe to Locker Talk Podcast, become a member, subscribe. Make sure you guys keep up with what's going on, and make sure you check this show out. Show out. Every day at your leisure, 24-7 on the Bachelor News Radio Network, on the Bachelor, uh, Bachelor Radio dot Airtime dot Pro. Everyone stay blessed. Talk to you guys soon. Goodbye. Good morning. Hola, mommies and poppies. It's Yanni, your DJ, and Dan Stucky with today's Dose of the Dime. And we are coming to you live on Facebook Live and on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And if you want to get involved, if you want to ask questions, if you want to, you know, holler at me, give me a comment, let me know how I'm doing, let me know what you want to hear. And if you have a question, absolutely hit me up. The number is 646-929-0130. We also have message boards open so that if you want us to post there, you can do that as well. Also, you, I have a Facebook group. It is a public group. You, you can find it right now. It's called A Dose of the Dime Radio Show. On there, we talk about different topics. We talk about different um, uh, questions about relationships, questions about, you know, Asking the men, what is what what is it that we can do differently as women? And asking them, and next week, guys, guess what? I'm asking the women, hey, guys, what can you do differently? You can't reply. You just got to sit there. The women sat there, so you sat, you sit there, sit this one out, okay? So on last week's show, <laughs> we talked about narcissists. I want to give you a brief rundown, like a brief recap. Uh, what, first of all, saying that somebody is a narcissist is actually absolutely kind of like a um, – has become this like $10 insult, like, oh, you're just a narcissist. There is a, it's a misconception because there are self-esteem, pride, vanity, some vanity, obviously not all, but vanity, those are actually positive things to have about yourself. It's actually the things that will actually keep you from getting taken advantage of by a narcissist. Also, um, 
it's a diagnosis, okay? It is an actual mental condition. I'm going to show the people on Facebook what I call my Bible. This is the DSM-5. And if you, it's a narcissistic personality disorder. It's an actual diagnosis where you have to have at least five of these eight different criteria, um, and you have to be diagnosed by a therapist, which I am, by the way. Um, so this is not a two things that I say on here and, oh, my God, he's a narcissist. Oh, my God, she, she's narcissistic. That's not what it is. Absolutely. If you, two things that you got to know. One, a narcissist will never reach out for help. So it's very rare that they reach out for help, even though they should. It's very rare that they reach out for help. And two, because it's a personality disorder, they don't understand that something is wrong. They just know that their relationships aren't going the way they want them to if that makes sense, okay? So please use this show for your personal life. This is not for you to diagnose anybody. Please don't have your person come from me because I don't know you and I don't know them, okay? <laughs> and again, because I don't know them, this is not the show to diagnose anybody, but for your personal protection, for your personal, I want to make sure that, you know, my relationship is up and up. Definitely listen, and if any of these things vibrate with you, do some reflection, have some conversations. Now, the one thing you will know that if it's a narcissist, a real narcissist, the conversations that you're going to have are going to be ugly because if you come to them and you say, hey, this is what's going on, they're going to fight back. Listen. Okay, so want to talk about, let's review some of the warning signs for an overt narcissism, and we'll talk about the difference in just a minute. So overt, overt narcissism, the first thing you want to look out for is their communication style. Are they controlling? Do they want to control the whole conversation? Do they keep rerouting it back to them? Um, if you say something they don't like, do they get off just a little bit? Do they brag and they boast a lot? Um, and if they don't like what you say, do they deflect do they change the subject? Do they make you kind of feel crazy about what it is that you said? Do they correct you in such a way? You're like, wait, whoa, what, what did I do? <laughs> and when you're talking about what it is that you've done, like, oh, my God, look, I did this. They kind of go, oh, that's nice. I did that before. Dismiss your accomplishments. You want to look out for those things. Move forward. The grandiose sense of self-image. Again, grandiose is what it sounds like. It's huge. It's like, Think of a king that is absolutely prideful. If you've seen someone and they have this huge, larger-than-life, I deserve all the good things. I deserve nothing but praise. I deserve to not be held accountable for anything that I do because I'm better. That's something you want to seek out, okay? They believe they deserve special treatment. They believe they were born better. They believe that everything that they do is 100 and they are the MVP every year, Okay. Um, they also um, overspend. These are somebody that are labeled, I call them label, label hoes, don't, don't come for me. But, yeah, people who have to have labels. It doesn't matter, you know, if, if, it, um, if, if, it's a good do, if it's a good designer outfit. If it's not the designer, they're not going to wear it. If they're friends, if your friends aren't going to get them anywhere, they're not going to be friends with your friends. Um, and furthermore, if you don't benefit them, they're not going to be friends with you very much longer either, okay? So everything that they do is with a design to get them further in life. And if they're with you, they see value in who you are, okay? So these type of people are also pushy. They push you in your boundaries. Like if you say no, they'll, oh, come on. No, it will be fine. Oh, come on. They'll nickel and dime you until you finally say yes. So they push your boundaries. They do it. They do it um, 
in a relationship, they do it prior to relationship. And what do I mean by that? So prior to relationship, if you guys are just talking and automatically they're calling you baby or automatically she's saying, I love you within like the first week. And she seems super, super attached. She might be a narcissist or she might have issues. One of the other we will talk about that. We'll talk about that next time. Okay. But definitely somebody that pushes your boundaries physically as well. Like if you're not ready to do some of the things that they're asking you to do and they keep pushing you to do it and you cave, you might be dealing with the narcissist. All right. So another one is obviously manipulation. That is a key factor in narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. They have behaviors that get them where they want. They rationalize their bad behaviors. They um, capitalize on your low self-esteem to get them whatever it is that they want with you, okay? And, of course, they villainize. So say you caught them doing something, and we'll get, ooh, we're going to get so much further into this today. Um, say they caught, you caught them doing something, and you go, hey, what's, what's this about? They'll flip it so that you are the person that ends up feeling like the victim. So definitely want to consider looking after any of those things, okay? So unrealistic expectations kind of, Part of that is is how Hollywood has ruined our uh, perception of what love is. The love bomb you. So because Hollywood's kind of ruined our 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 view of what love is, we we think it's this big cataclysmic thing. And sometimes it is. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's almost like a a a full-fledged assault, everything you like, they like. Everything you want to do, they like to do it, too. I don't know if anybody watches The Office, but uh, Andy was love-bombing Michael when he first met him. And I'm going to give a shout-out to some of my people watching on the Dose of Dime on the Facebook group. Hey, Winnie, Winnie, what's up, my girl? I haven't seen you in a minute. Miss you. All right, so definitely um, grandiose gestures. They're going to spend a lot of money on minute, on, din- on dinners, on presents. Um, they'll start pushing, again, pushing boundaries. They'll send flowers to your job, um, and you didn't, you didn't tell them where you worked, that type of stuff. Um, and they're very quick about it. So they, will list, they are very good listeners. They will listen to everything that is that you have to say, and they will absolutely follow it to the T. They'll set it up so that uh, when you want something, they already know. You know why? Because they're listening to you. That's why sometimes it pays to kind of keep some of your cards to your chest. Now, we're going to go into some other mm, warning signs, and we'll talk about a little bit more of that. Now, what makes love bombing so bad? So they're all in, all in, all in, and it's like two, three, maybe even four weeks going into two months, maybe, at the most. I say two to three months at the most. That's the most that a narcissist can handle love bombing most of the time, again, based on the um, uh, DSM. And after the love bombing, then they pull back. Once they see that they got you, they pull back. Now, imagine somebody giving you every everything that you want. You didn't have to depend on anything for two whole months. Now, first of all, we already know it takes 21 days to establish a habit. So consider that's what? That's 60 days. So now you're dependent on them, and you kind of have solid emotions for them, almost like a soulmate type of factor, and then all of a sudden they stop talking to you. The first thing you're going to do is, what did I do? How, are, are we okay? Did I mess up? And that's where they get you. 
once they see that, they pull back. And then you start doing extra to get that love and affection that they gave you in the beginning back. So then they start what they call breadcrumbing. Breadcrumbing is, you, you, what did I do? Did I mess up? I don't know, babe. We're okay. We're okay. Hey, let's go out to eat. And you go out to eat, and then you don't hear from them again for two more days. They string you along. They give you just enough for you to um, stay interested without being heartbroken. And then they kind of string you along until they get what it is that they want. It's, I know it's, it's sad. It, it gets worse. I promise. I promise. And so, of course, we have the lack of empathy. So normal things like if you have a parent that died and um, you come to the one person that you care about for consolation and they're like, oh, okay, babe, I'm sorry, too. They have a lack of empathy. Now, the research is going back and forth as to whether it is a lack of empathy because they just don't have it or a lack of empathy because they choose not to have it. But either way it goes, you will feel it. They will fake it up until they can't, and then they'll be done. Okay? So before we get into today's topic, which is the covert narcissism, it's a whole different thing. Listen, um, I want you to uh, listen about what's going on on uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network. We have feature album Fridays today, today, Fridays only, okay? So it is like a 30-minute tour of an artist's discography. And, of course, I mean, let me tell you, the Bachelor News Radio Network comes with the old school jam. So this this today, they're focusing on Teddy Pendergrass. And oh, my goodness, when I tell you he's also part of my past, part of my growing up. And, Oh, close the door. I, I thought y'all didn't come to hear me sing. I don't know why I do that to y'all because I can't sing. I tell you, it is what it is. All right, so that is going to be today, 5.30 Eastern Standard Time, 6.30 Central Standard Time. And the website, of course, is in my link. Um, but you can also go to thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Again, the Bachelor, Bachelor, spelled B-A-T-C-H. E-L-O-R, news.airtime.pro. And then, of course, okay, they have what they call um, Whisper Softly. <laughs> Whisper Softly is a, a serenade of love songs that they're playing now uh, every day but Saturday from 8 p.m. to 12 midnight. And it is just, man, I'm telling you, you want to set the mood, just, just put your computer on it. And, and go through the house, and when I watch the movie, just melt into order. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen, it is a thing. It is a thing. So we're, don't forget, again, today, feature album Friday, 5.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central. And today they're talking about Teddy Pentagrass. I know some of you grew up on him. Some of you some of you conceived on him. We're not going to talk about that, though. Anyways, um, the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And, again, the whisper softly. Quiet Storm remix of Love Song. That's going to be at weekdays, actually weeknights, 8 p.m. to 12 midnight, every day but Saturday, okay? All right, let's keep that moving, bro. Okay, so covert narcissism, why is it different? All right, I'll give it to you. So have you ever went into your car and you want to listen to a radio station? All right, so you turn, you know, there's a song on, you hate the song. So you still, you turn the song down on low. Whether you turn the song down on low or whether you turn the song down, you bump, bump the song as, as loud as you can, it's still the same song. 
So covert narcissism is the equivalent of bumping a narcissistic song just at a lower volume, okay? So what do they look like? They tend to be more introverted than uh, extroverted. So our classic overt narcissist is normally an extroverted person. They're also very gregarious, meaning that they can vibe with most people. Introverted uh, narcissists, they're a little different. That's why their attack is a little bit more covert because you don't see it coming. It's like, wait, what? What? What the hell? Uh, so they're shy, shy, hypersensitive. You won't find that out until you mess up. Hypersensitive. All right, so that you won't see that until after love bombing is done, and then you'd be like, oh wow, what 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 happened here? They avoid social interaction, especially ones with huge crowds. Can't do it. Can't do it. Cannot allow anyone to see them. Their confidence is not where it should be, which is why they're kind of covert with it. They keep their circle small because of this. They have a few trusted people that they keep with them, and that's that's it. Okay. Um, they avoid relationships, with, of, of course, as a narcissist would. They avoid relationships that they can't get anything out of. They can't get anything out of. They're probably not going to talk to you. Okay. And they never seem happy. So consider somebody who has largely, mostly everything that they need. And I just don't seem happy. Like, it, it's a thing, all right? So then there's anger outbursts. So what do I mean by that? Everybody has anger outbursts. We, we all get to the point where we get triggered and we go off. This one's weird. They go off on the littlest things and largely, like, huge, intense, like, you are almost scared of what's going to Right, it, it goes to a level, it goes from zero to 45 within like five seconds, and you don't even know what happens. Those type of eruptions, okay? And then, we'll, so we'll get more into that, but look for those types of things. If not with you, because of course in the love bombing phase, if I'm hoping you catch these signs in the love bombing phase, but in the love bombing phase, they're not going to show it to you just yet because they don't see your flaws just yet. But I... After that, look for what they're doing to other people. If you see them go from zero to 55 on someone else, how long is it going to take somebody to do that to you? Okay? The communication is still self-absorbed, but it's different. Let me show you how. If they don't like what you're talking about, it, it's rude behavior. It's not like cutting you off. It's not like diverting the conversation. They go, they'll start doing like they'll roll their eyes. They'll... Um, scroll on their phone, they'll do other things that make you feel like whatever it is you're saying is not important, okay? They'll do it openly, all right? Another thing that they do is they change the subject. And, of course, they'll just ignore the whole conversation. Absolutely, okay? So another thing that you'll notice with their conversation is that their, co their apologies are absolutely insincere, insincere. When I tell you, when I tell you they're insincere, it's, it's, here's what I mean. Okay, so if you apologize to a friend, if somebody says, hey, what you're doing is hurting me. We've talked about this with toxic family members. If they say, what you're doing is hurting me, and you go, okay, I'm, I'm so sorry. But then like next week, they do it again. That's what you want to look for. Their apologies are insincere. If you are very clear about what it is that is going on that is upsetting you, they'll apologize. Absolutely. And, and very dramatically, but they're going to do that behavior again. Now, hold on to this nugget for when we go to gaslighting. Stay there. Okay. So past is self-importance. <laughs> they're going to devalue your confidence, but not in a way that's loud. Gonna, your accomplishments aren't much. 
Oh, you you did that? Oh, yeah, I, I, I did that when I was, you know, just starting out. So do nasty sweet, what I call them, um, I call them nasty sweet compliments. They're backbiting. Oh, God, girl, that just looks good on you. I bet you if you lose 10 more pounds, it'll be slamming. Mm. Or, oh, baby, you played a good game. It's too bad your friends are just a little bit better than you. Maybe we should practice more together. Those kind of comments. They said, okay. They'll be little. And, and another thing that they'll do is they'll be little themselves. Why do they do this? So this, that doesn't even sound like narcissistic behavior. Why? It's manipulation. Oh, my God, I can't do it like you do it, babe. You do it so well. Why don't you do it for me? They're getting you to do it. And, of course, they're getting you to be like, oh, baby, of course. No, honey, you do so well. I love it when you do it. Oh, but you do the best. I love you so much. Or they'll go, oh, I just don't, I don't deserve someone like you. I'm just so, I'm so bad. Oh, baby, no, you're not bad. Listen, I'm saying this in a feminine voice, but women are masters at this. I got to tell you. Men are too. Don't get me wrong, but I've seen some. And then, okay, so we talked about the backhanded compliments. What about demissive and, and condescending, and, you know, um, remarks that sound okay in the beginning, and then you go, wait a minute, did he just, did they just, you just talk, you just call me slow. <laughs> Those kind of compliments that you actually have to sit back and know, I think they just, I think they just kind of diss me. So there is this intense need for them to win, okay, an intense need for them to win. They will win at any cost, all right? So we're going to talk about their passive aggressive behavior, and then we're going to move on to gaslighting because, unfortunately, of course, as always, I'm running out of time. I would hate to do a part three, but I guess we might have to. Passive aggressive behavior. These are the people that's going to give you the silent treatment or they're going to blame shame you. Okay. They're going to blame you for whatever happened. Can't believe you flirted with that waiter like that. I don't, I don't understand. The waiter's my brother. No, you, you don't talk to them like that when you're with me. That makes me, that makes me feel some kind of way. Yeah. Those types of behaviors, they play the victim a lot. If you love me, you wouldn't do this like that. If you love me, you would do this better those types of behaviors, okay? Um, they frame their insults like jokes and you something because you want to be a good sport. And again, this is in the beginning of the relationship. You laugh about it, but it, it's actually irritating out of you. They hold grudges and they're vindictive. So Hmm. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about the smear campaign because this is a new concept that I don't think we've discussed yet. Smear campaigns involve other people, normally people in their group, or sometimes people in your group, where they talk to your friends or they talk to their friends about whatever's going on in your relationship, and they um, make it seem like you are so out of line and so bad in a relationship. So that when something happens, they can say, see, I told you, she was this. Or see, I told you. See what she did? All right, triangulation is where they also hold somebody above you, like an ex-girlfriend. Well, my ex-girlfriend used to do it like this. Or my ex-boyfriend, he he always had my car gassed up. My ex-boyfriend used to have my car clean and gassed up, and I never had to touch a door. That's That's triangulation. They're pitting you against someone else. 
to a fight for their attention. And it also makes you go, well, yeah, baby, I, I, I'll step it up. Mm, watch that. So let's talk about gaslighting because this is also like a $5 term. And gaslighting is very important because I need you to understand how it works, okay? The first, there's two different types, first of all. The first one is invalidating feelings. And unfortunately, again, I go back to just because somebody does this part, this one, number one, if somebody does number one, um, it is because um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a narcissist, but if they continue to do these things, it's, that's when you want to be like careful about what's going on. Invalidating your feelings. So we do it a lot with kids. Like I used to work um, at Social Edge Fair. Shout out Social Edge Fair is a good school. Check it out. Um, that uh, if somebody hurt gets hurt or whatever. They, we we like, oh, baby, it's, it's okay. Let's take it off. You, it's not that bad. No, you don't have to cry like that. It's okay. It's invalidating their feelings. It might be <laughs> the end of the world to them. Um, so definitely, you know how we tell kids, oh, baby, it's okay. Suck it up. You got it. Come on. Lift your chin. You don't have to cry about it. Those types of behaviors, invalidating it. It also happens at a work, at, at, at your job. Like, oh, here's this assignment. It's pretty easy. And when you're struggling with it, oh, it's so easy. I don't know why you haven't gotten this done yet. It's invalidating the work and the effort that you're putting in or invalidating the fact that you're struggling with it. It doesn't matter that someone else didn't. You didn't, okay? So then there's a second type. This one, if this one happens more than once, you are probably dealing with some, some issues. I won't say narcissistic issues, but definitely there's some narcissistic tendencies. This is called malicious gaslighting, okay? So the first way that they do it is they repeatedly lie and deny. You didn't see that. Girl, what are you talking about? That didn't happen. I didn't say that. Boy, I, I don't even know this guy on my phone. What are you talking about? It's random. It's a stranger. They lie, they repeat, and they deny it. That's their game plan. They're going to try and make you feel stupid. Misdirection is another way that they do it, okay? And this relies on either they kind of flip it on you or they blame you, or they attack your triggers, okay? So remember I told you that narcissists are very, they pay a lot of attention to what's going on, okay? A lot of attention, okay? So say um, that you uh, <laughs> caught them red-handed cheating, all right, talking to a girl or whatever. They'll blame you. Well, had you been there for me, I wouldn't have to step out on our relationship. Or um, so you walk in and he's on the phone with a girl. Look. <laughs> You haven't been there to talk to me. I just needed somebody I could reach out to, so I should just let my feelings slide and just just leave it by my leave it to myself. I, I shouldn't, you know. You can't handle it. You you emotionally not ready for me. I don't understand. I need a woman that's going to be there for me. Ooh, that's the one. Okay. Or if um, for triggers, they'll tell you you're too sensitive, or they'll tell you you're just jealous, baby. It's okay. I, I'm only here for you. Uh, or they'll attack you where it hurts. People don't even like you. You lucky I keep you. Nobody's going to want you. They attack you where it hurts, okay? Another way that they gaslight you is they use contradictions, okay? So contradictions, like, I didn't say that. I don't even remember saying that. Uh, that's not what I said. Or they flip it on you, okay? So say you said, uh, I really don't, you know, want to go. I'm not feeling well. So every time I want to go out, you never want to go out with me. That's not what I said. They will flip things on you. Okay. And again, this is women. Actually, women are very good at this. Women are 
very good with this one, okay? Uh, contradictions. Denial. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I'm not yelling. I'm They'll tell you yelling while they're yelling at you. That's a thing. That's a thing, okay? And, oh, the one that I heard is an example from Anonymous. Anonymous sent an example, and it said, um, oh, sweetie, I'm not like other men. They're clearly showing you bad behavior. I'm not like other men. Don't don't punish me for what somebody else did. You're doing it too, sir. <laughs> that type of behavior. Yeah, they make you feel crazy. So what is the goal? The goal of gaslighting is to cover up their lies, to cover up whatever they got going on, to change the narrative, to make you feel crazy, to make you question what it is that your 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 whole judgment. And what is it about? It's about control. It is about control. You are easy to manipulate if you don't trust yourself. You are easy to manipulate if you are relying on their judgment versus trusting whatever it is that you got going on. That's why gaslighting is a vicious tool because it breaks you down. And you're like, well, how does this work? I would never fall for that. Yeah, there are levels to the manipulation, okay? So first you start out with disbelief. Like you kind of shrug it off like it, on the first occurrence. And like, oh, they didn't, you know, they didn't even do that. I, 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 don't, I know they're tripping. You, you're still relying on your logic, right? And then the second one is defensive. And you're like, you begin to doubt, well, maybe I didn't see that. Maybe, uh, Maybe I am tripping. Maybe maybe I need to sit back. Maybe I need to focus on what's going on here because they'll make you feel like you're crazy. And you'll start to focus, well, wait, maybe let me back up. And what's going on here? And then the last phase is depression where you just absolutely don't trust anything that you have to say or you have going on. Okay? That's the last phase. Okay? So here's the thing. Let me set up a scenario for you because we're running out of time for real, for real. So, you know, we talked about triggers. You know, we talked about you telling people what it is that you got going on and you have this whole smear campaign going on. So say you guys are out in public and he does the one thing that really irritates your soul and you like, I just said don't do that. And so he starts picking at you, you know what you, you're toxic. You're, you don't, you, you're petty. I can't believe you're so childish. And then when you blow up, when you blow up on him, because they'll push that button, they know the triggers, the buttons, the push in order to get you to go off. And I'm not just saying men, because I got to tell you, I dealt with a female narcissist um, in, in, in my work, in my profession. And it was just like they knew what buttons to push. Like right before I was about to teach a class, they would say something snarky to me. And then I, all the rest of the class, I'm like, <laughs> so it is, it's a thing. And then they show, you go off, and then they say, see, I told you she was crazy. It's part of the smear campaign. They are doing this, not necessarily because they want to hurt you, but because it benefits them. You are easy to control. If I have you under control, I don't need anything else. All right? So let's go ahead and start wrapping this up. You know I am the DJ Dom. I am your DJ and your dance junkie. So we want to talk about the fact that you don't have to stay. You can distance yourself. You can find me on all my forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, TikTok, all the forms. Um, I want to leave you with one affirmation before we wrap this up. No one can take away the power that I have within me, and I want you to focus on that. And I am your DJ Don, your DJ and your dance and I'm wishing you well on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and I hope you guys tune in next time. Uh, I think we're probably going to have to do a part three, but I hope you hit me right back here, right back here, guys, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Sometimes.
No, no. 